This episode is sponsored by Visual Media. Are you an entrepreneur or a small business looking to take your brand to the next level? Then Visual Media is the service for you. Visual Media is a video production company who specializes in creating high-quality visual content for social media, websites, and online courses. Head over to Visual Media on Instagram and drop Resilience in their DM to get started. That's V-Z-U-A-L-M-E-D-I-A underscore to get started. What's up, everyone? This is Resilience in Action with Aaron Brown, the number one podcast for anyone looking to have a greater human experience. This episode contains topics that may be triggering for some people. Viewer's discretion is advised. What's going on, everyone? It's another episode of Resilience in Action with Aaron Brown, and our special guest today is Kimberly Henry. Kimberly, thank you so much for um, all, like you said, the flexibility and all that, but thank you for sitting down with us to have a little chat. Hi, thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, tell us a little bit about yourself. Sure. So I live in upstate New York and single mom. And uh, I was working for corporate for 22 years and going on a journey in 2021, I chose to let that go. It served me as a single mom. It helped my daughter to get to Europe and she's creating her own life. And it allowed me to be with her. I didn't have to have multiple jobs and and live that way, although I was handling another situation. Yeah. Uh, in 2021, it just came to me. It was like a calling from the universe that it was time to let that go. And it was time to step into helping people write their memoirs and helping people to heal that part of their life that we can be with our story, we can be with our past, and we can also have forgiveness and compassion and we can be a space for people and inspire people that if we have that story to share and the lessons that people can learn, we can create inspiration and we can create a different story for somebody else, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. So a memoir writing expert. Yeah. What encouraged you to want to help other people? Well, when I when we went into lockdown, in 2020, gotcha. yeah, I was in a transformation workshop and I had a coach and I always knew that my story got to be written. However, I had to go through obstacles to go through the who cares about my story, who's going to read my story, my, is my story good enough? I'm not a celebrity. I'm not well established. I don't have like fabulous, grandiose things going on in my life. You know, so I had those things to go through. And when I did decide to finally do it, because my coach kept saying to me every week, what are you going to do it? What are you going to do it? Hmm. it? I learned that when I finally gave my permission to write, I started with the most emotional thing that happened in my life, which was my mom's cancer journey and being with her through that for the five months. And then I also connected it to her relationship with her mother. I also went from my grandmother to her mother. And through that, I understood why my mother was at arm's length with me her entire life. Because it was so much grief, so much loss, and women not knowing how to be mothers because of what they experienced. And so I 
like talking about it now is just such a relief because I get it. And so then it helps me to understand where I come from. So if I can do that for me, then I can help someone else go through something similar. And we all don't have to have like, you know, big things that happen or for me, it was trauma. It doesn't have to be trauma, but we all have things that people can learn from us. Yeah. Absolutely. Which is why I love your podcast, because that resiliency, like I really got why I'm so resilient, because I come from lineage of women who were determined and resilient and strong and feisty. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. Um, what, while writing your memoir, what was something that you learned that made a light bulb go off and you were like aha this makes so much sense what was that thing the trauma of how mm-hmm. it goes back through both sides of the family through so many generations yeah and i love patterns and i can Me see too. the pattern. I'm a big pattern person because i can see the pattern like to give you an example, my oldest aunt, she passed last year and I got to be with her in her last five months of her life. I called her every day. I visited her every week. And what I was doing was I was allowing her a space to go through her process of her letting go. So she got to transition and she had 89 years of life to process. <laughs> well, she knew that it was happening and I got to learn. She didn't know that I was writing my memoir. When we went into lockdown, I'm also a person, don't tell me that I can't do something because mm-hmm. I like this. So when we went into lockdown, I couldn't go visit her, obviously. She's an elderly woman and I didn't want to take that chance. So I'm like, okay, I'm going to call her every day. I have no idea what it's going to look like calling an 88-year-old woman. I don't know what we're going to talk about. <laughs> I'm going to call her every day. What she allowed is I always thought that I was never going to get that side of the family because my dad was the youngest. My dad didn't have the memories, didn't have the stories. She was able to connect me to who was who and connect me to why things made sense the way they did. And also why my father had the perception of certain people that he did. Yeah. So it was really like, I went in to do my ancestry and her perception of her father so my grandfather he was the town drunk and I always thought that was so sad because I'm like having that perception of your father as a town drunk which also made sense on why my two uncles went path that they did so when my grandfather died my uncle was in prison because he would hang out he hung out with kids that got into trouble they stole from a jewelry store and he got sent away those others they didn't. He got held accountable. And so my father, being nine years old at that time, Aaron, he held on to that situation his entire life. So to give you an example, I remember when I was in high school, and to give a little bit of backstory, my parents were both alcoholics. Uh-huh. So by the time I got into high school, their alcoholism was just full rage. It was just craziness. And there would be times where I felt so responsible to be not only at the bar with them, but to go to the bar and walk my father home because I knew that he would be so drunk, he wouldn't be able to even get just around the corner at home. Mm -hmm. So we would be walking, he'd have his arm around my neck, I literally would be supporting him home. And we'd get home and I'd always ask him the same questions. 
And it always went back to him being that nine-year-old boy. His father had died. His brother showed up to the funeral in shackles and prison uniform. And he'd always be bawling his eyes out. Mm-hmm. That allowed me to see my father in a different light instead of being so angry and frustrated and sometimes intolerable. Yeah. Because I had that conflict within me. Like, I love him, but yet I can't stand him. <laughs> yeah. What, I, what it, I did is it allowed me to have that space for him that, oh, he's living from that nine-year-old hurt child because he never got to be a child. So to go back to your question, because I'm answering it in a long roundabout way, when I got into writing my story, it made sense then why my aunt had the perception of her father being a town drunk, because when I went all the ways back through, there's so much loss and grief that they didn't talk about for so many years yeah. that nobody talked about. And so it makes sense. Oh, that's why they went to alcohol. That's why they were escaping. And that's why my father didn't know how to be a father. That's why my mother didn't know how to be a mother. (laughs) I'm so glad that you were able to go on that journey. um, And now you can like find solace and kind of laugh about it. Um, but the, the process is, oh, it's gotta be exhausting. It wasn't, it was a relief. It was okay. Let's go that way. Yeah. Yeah. It was such a relief. And I know that's like one of the obstacles that people have going through this because the part that was scary to me was Mm -hmm. feeling the emotions Mm. as someone who was raised by two alcoholics. I wasn't supposed to be feeling emotions and I'm always, I've always been a high emotional person. I'm, I'm highly sensitive. I've always been since I was a little one. And so I always got told, Oh, you cry too much. Mm -hmm. Oh, you're too, you're too this, you're too sensitive. Like you talk too much because it's also coming from the don't ask, don't tell (laughs) Mm. mind frame. (laughs) So I always talk too much. And so the part that was hard for me was what is it going to feel like when I'm writing this again? Am I going to be re-traumatized? Am I going to be triggered? Is it going to be like I'm living that scenario all over again? Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, so you, you're writing your, your memoir, memoir and it's, it's like a release. Yeah, huge. Gotcha. Gotcha. I understand now. I understand now. Finally being able to. I get where I come from now. Mm-hmm. Like, to be honest, it I, makes sense. I, used to, I used to joke with my mom. I'm a mailman's kid. I'm like, come on, you know, you had an affair because I'm not like either one of you. <laughs> oh, my goodness. I used to joke around about that all the time. And to be honest, it was when I was going through the cancer journey with her, we were sitting at the cancer center. She was getting chemotherapy Mm -hmm. and I'm sitting there I was taking on everything I was doing research for her what organizations could help her with different things like food and gas and that kind of stuff but I'm listening to how she is and she acknowledged every single person it didn't matter if they were a custodian or they were a nurse or they were a doctor she knew their first names she acknowledged them and she had her one-liners even while she has the in her and she's getting chemotherapy she's saying one-liners to make them laugh yeah so I'm sitting there and I look up and I'm like oh my god 
I get it. She's like, what are you talking about? I said, I finally get it. I'm now in my 30s and I finally get it. And she's like, what are you talking about? Like, I get how I'm like you. I've got your laugh. I've got your sense of humor. I I like, I acknowledge people. I want people to feel seen and feel heard. And I want people to feel acknowledged. That's how I'm like you. She's like, well, I'm glad you finally get it. <laughs> After so many years. But yeah. but to think about it, but if you think about it, um, you said your parents were alcoholics. Yeah. Uh, when did that stop? Because if if you if you go back, how much did you really have in common with them back then? That's why I always felt like I was somebody else's kid. Yeah. And to be like, to give you an example, I must have made a choice as a little girl that I was never going to drink coffee because all of them were coffee drinkers. And I remember making it for my grandmother because she was more like my mom. She raised me. And I remember at some point, I'm never going to do this. I have never drank a cup of coffee and I'm 45 years old. Oh my, I had a cup of coffee this morning. (laughs) <laughs> I have no desire to try it. I don't like the smell of it. I Are you a, no a, desire. a tea drinker? Yeah. What's your favorite tea? Chamomile or lavender. So relaxing. Yeah. Yeah. Gotcha. Okay. Well, you know, I, I drink tea at night. I drink coffee in the morning. Um, but do you think that you kind of correlate the coffee with the alcohol? No, I correlated to, I knew as a little girl that they were all different than me. And I didn't, I felt like I didn't have anything in common with them. I didn't feel like I was from them. And so I knew, especially because their behavior as alcoholics were awful, even when I was a little girl. Mm -hmm. But to give you an example, I have memories of being very little, like maybe four, maybe even three, that they were throwing things at each other in the living room when they had fights. I remember like physical items in the living room being tossed on the other side of the room when they had, they'd have fight. So it, like, it makes me freeze just talking about it because that's the only thing I knew as a little girl because I was terrified. So I knew that I, I just, I don't want to be like that. I don't want yeah. this. So then their alcoholism went through their entire life. I mean, I found out when I took my mom to the doctor that she had quit drinking only a month and a half, maybe two months before she got diagnosed. Mm. And she says it's because she got to a place that she realized that she didn't need the alcohol anymore. Mm -hmm. I got to buy her a home. So she had a safe place. She had a home of her own. She, you know, she finally was in a place where she didn't feel like she needed it anymore. My dad had been gone for a long time, but my dad was literally drinking up right until that, maybe not that day, because he died while he was working. He died on a dock, but he definitely drank probably the night before. So it went through his life. Wow. So he, that's some, that's um, one of those hurdles that he never, he was never able to get over. No, because he didn't, he only knew what he knew. And I, and that's another thing I can have compassion for him now. He only knew what he knew. He didn't have the tools. He didn't know how to shift his mindset and it was always scarcity. Yeah. And so that's another thing that allows me when I decided to write 
is I can see the patterns of even scarcity in my family. And I can see within myself, because I'm always asking myself questions, I can see how that's my default to go to scarcity. Gotcha. Gotcha. So you so you are 20 and you get pregnant. Yep. Let's talk about that. What was that like? I was with a man who had an addiction that I was in denial. Mm. I just had rose-colored glasses. I was naive. I had never been around anybody using drugs. So I didn't know what it looked like. I didn't know the symptoms. I didn't trust my gut enough to go with my intuition because I had the signs within my body saying that this doesn't feel right. This doesn't feel good. Yeah, I was also coming from that place of not good enough. Like this is the only thing that I get to have. Yeah. Because I was also coming from that place of I never felt loved by my dad. I just Mm. wanted a man to love me. And I was willing to put up with crap. (laughs) (laughs) So I was 20 years old. He was addicted to crack. And he began stealing my money. He mm. began going on drug binges for days. And yet I loved being pregnant. I loved having the baby within me. And I was always talking to her. She became my best friend, even in the womb, because I was having conversations with her throughout the whole time. Yeah. <laughs> and so it was really like I have conversations now with people in my life like was it the right thing to do probably not because I didn't have the tools I didn't have the mindset I didn't have people around me that could really help me go through that I was just repeating patterns and that familiarity of what I knew in life hey 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 did you know I wrote a book it's called the value method five steps to unlocking your greatest potential and in it I share just that Five wildly easy, actionable steps that will set you up to have a greater human experience daily. I've included interactive worksheets and small assignments at the end of each chapter. You're literally creating a living blueprint of your best life. Be sure to check out the show notes for the link to purchase your copy and a copy for a friend. Does that make sense? When was a moment where you noticed that you were repeating those patterns and you said I absolutely not I cannot it's time to make a change oh my gosh it took me years yeah (laughs) yes years because with my daughter's father I went through like 16 years of constant family court constant police involvement goodness gracious having calls made on me for child protective services because he was making allegations all the time because of his drug addiction, I knew what was possible. And I felt like we were always in possibility of being harmed. So I lived my life through that filter of being scared that I, I was going to be harmed or worse yet, she was going to be harmed. And so it was so stressful. And I was literally surviving from moment to moment most of my time through that. And yeah. definitely day to day, because I didn't know what, how I was going to get through it. It felt like an eternity as it was Mm -hmm. going on. And so what I see now looking back is yes, I had a job that provided me with that security that I didn't need to go get two or three jobs. However, the stress of the trauma dealing with him and all of this trauma that was going on, I wasn't present with her. 
And we have those conversations now because she's in her mid-20s. And she felt my anxiety. She felt my fear. Mm-hmm. And that's showing up now in the patterns that she's creating in her life. And so she is now, thank goodness, at that place where she's looking within herself. Mm. And she's seeing the patterns. And she's seeing what's happening. And so she's making different choices. I and love that. We have those conversations about, oh, okay, so this probably has to do with the fact that her father's never been in her life. Mm-hmm. And so she's never met him? The last time she saw him, she was five, and I was in a supervised visit. Wow. wow. And he was trying to, he had a child with another woman. He had two children, actually, with two different women. And mm-hmm. he wanted, he gave her a picture one child because he wanted her to know that he had another child which as a five-year-old that really had a huge impact on her she couldn't understand why would he have a child with a there and he doesn't have a relationship with her yeah so it caused a lot of turmoil for her she was always in like a conflict mm-hmm. he's also a high emotional person <laughs> <laughs> So it, it, it seems was challenging. Like, it seems like you are breaking generational curses. That's what a, it feels like. In a sense, yeah, that's that and that is a that is a heavy load to carry. It feels like it. Yeah. There I today to be honest and totally transparent today feels like a very heavy day for me. I'm working through a lot of anxiety and mm-hmm. I'm working through a lot of heaviness and I and I haven't distinct what's creating all of that. Mm -hmm. So I've really been mindful today about making sure that I meditate, making sure that I drink water, you know, and that kind of thing. And I definitely wanted to be here with you. Yeah. And it it feels better already just being here with you and talking about it, you know? So yeah, it does feel heavy on certain days. Yeah. Certain days um, are a little more, a little more. That's it. That doesn't even make sense. That is definitely um, heavier. And to have a support system can make a world of of change. And a lot of people think that a support system has to be the people that you know, the people that you grew up with, or the people that you're connected with somehow. Um, a support system, in my opinion, can be a perfect, a perfect stranger. Have you ever sparked up just a random conversation with someone and, and you kind of talk about something that you really needed to talk about? And then when you walk away, you feel lighter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. My part time job is at a grocery store, a local gotcha. grocery. And what I love is I love having those random conversations with people because it's not about me. I'm like acknowledging them. So I find myself what I say is that they often go to self-checkout and they don't know what they're doing. So <laughs> I'm, I'm finding myself saying, I believe you. However, I've got to actually look at it. Like I've got to see what you're doing. Yeah. Saying I believe you to someone. How many times do you hear that in a day? You don't. I don't. Yeah. So just, I've gotten hugs from people for a piece of cake because I'm giving them a coupon for a piece of cake. And I'll say to them, I believe you, I see it. Like, and 
you know, don't worry about it. It's a $5 piece of cake. I, I can give you a coupon. And, you know, so yeah, it's just being with people and you're right. It's that providing that healing for each other because I've been going on podcasts now for a year. And the reason I started it was to use my voice because coming from that don't ask, don't tell, I'm coming up against a wall that I shouldn't be talking about this. I shouldn't be exposing all of this stuff about my family. Like I'm divulging too much, you know, like that too much conversation. I'm too much. And like, it's just so healing to be able to use my voice in that way and to speak my story and to speak my truth. However, what I didn't realize a year ago is the bigger impact of it, of meeting people like yourself. And now all of these people that I've created relationships with, that it's so, oh my gosh, I can't even put it in words. How amazing it is. It is really, (laughs) it's really, it is mind blowing the things that we're able to accomplish. I fully believe that we are not meant to do, we're meant to do hard things, but we're not meant to do hard things alone. Yeah, definitely. And when you find uh, individuals who have done hard things, maybe they don't look like your hard things, but they've had their own challenges, their own trauma, and they are either currently working through it or, or they're just starting the process or they're almost through it. And being able to build that community, build that orbit and just really pour into each other yeah yeah, yeah having, definitely. having those those peoples and those peoples having those connections yeah. really makes life easier to do yeah yeah and people like yourself it inspires me to have my own podcast so now I'm working through the obstacles of what does it look like that I get to have my own podcast yeah. so then I can reconnect with you and then you can be on my podcast I would love that <laughs> I would love, I love, I love, love, love interviewing, right? I love collecting people's stories uh, because when you think about it, when you're a podcast host, uh, you are, and, and you're interviewing people, you are, those, those, your guests, the people that you're interviewing, they're entrusting you with their stories. Yeah. Now you take the podcast and whether you edit it on your own or you send it out to be edited. Uh, they're trusting you to 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 keep their story intact and to tell it truthfully. That that's a biz, that's a big thing, right? And I love interviewing. Like I think it's one of the one of the things on this earth that I am really really good at, and it's taken years of practice. I've been interviewing people for a very, very long time. I've been sitting in front of a camera, talking to it and all that good stuff for a very long time. But something happens when I'm on the other side. Ah. Something happens. I'm the one being interviewed. It's like a a different level of, I won't call it anxiety uh, Mm -hmm. because I love sharing my story, but a level of vulnerability that I always have to tap into. And like you said, is it too much? Am I divulging too much? Do they really care about hearing this? Yeah, exactly. And so you have to learn how to navigate that being an interviewee. There's two different sides 
to to all of this uh, and, and learning the the tricks of the trade and also learning what works for you right you know, learning what works for you i i absolutely encourage you to take the leap and and start your podcast and and figure out what that will look like to you yeah yeah and that's exactly why i feel like it's a another elevation for me exactly how you just worded it that was so perfectly worded <laughs> Because that's exactly what I feel. It's like, okay, I get to elevate. I've been doing this for a year. And when I first started doing it, scared. It's mm-hmm. like, I don't know what I'm going to say. I don't even know what my story looks like. I don't know what my message is. I was so scared. And I was like, let me just send out my, my sheet. Let me see what people say. And over the year, now I've got clarity just that much more on what my message is and what mm-hmm. I'm speaking. And what's my purpose? Whereas a year ago, I just had no clue. I'm like, I'm just going to jump into this and just figure it out. <laughs> they say, they say the best way to do something is to do it. Yeah. 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 Best way is to start. You know, yeah. um, we never know what it would. We have an idea of what it may look like or what we want it to look like, but I've been, I've had this podcast for a year and what I thought it was going to look like and what it looks like now, it's not, it's not, it's not wholly the same. Yeah. There's some, there's some differences in there that I didn't, I couldn't imagine um, having the ability to reach out to so many different people from so many different walks of life. And them trusting me to tell their stories. Yeah, which is huge. It's yeah. awesome. It is amazing. So I, <laughs> I say all of that to go back to encouraging you. And if you need any support, I'm absolutely here to help uh, to start a podcast. I think podcasting is amazing. And it's an amazing way to get your reps in, get your practice in, and also uh, just giving providing a platform for others yeah yeah I feel like that's the bigger part of it it's like that Mm -hmm. being in service to people I get to like go what I think about myself because it's also scary to me showing up which is fascinating because I now learned over the year that it's okay to show up it's safe Mm -hmm. to show up however the thought of me being you in your seat right now it's scary to me because (laughs) of that visibility and putting myself out there per se yeah so it's just to notice what fears come up because I know it all goes back to my childhood mm-hmm. I wasn't supposed to be seen I wasn't supposed to be heard you know it's like that uh how, how does that old saying go um don't speak unless you're spoken to spoken to yeah that's yep. that's how it was especially around certain family members mm-hmm. my dad and my mom knew that there was no shot me up because I always spoke <laughs> <laughs> But certain family members, it was that environment and it was scary and it was intimidating. And I felt like it was so hard to be vulnerable. So when you said vulnerability, that's huge for me because I'm learning over time how important it is and how essential it is that my me being vulnerable, that's one of my core values because it takes huge vulnerability and huge courage to write your story. Mm-hmm be able to put your words on paper or on a computer, whatever it is. If you're audio, you can do an audio way. 
it's not about how you're doing it. It's about being true to yourself, to be that courageous, to be that vulnerable, to really speak your story. And there's no cookie cutter around it, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. There's no, there's no one way. Yeah. There's, there's a million ways because there's a million thoughts. There's a million ideas. There's a million bajillion, gajillion people. And they um, all, we all have our own life experiences and that perspective plays a big role into how we view ourselves and how we view the world. Definitely. I mean, just to give you an example, one of the things that I experienced as a, a kid, I mean, I was like 11, 12 years old. I was raped by not only one man who was 18, but his brother who was 16. Mm-hmm. And it was happening simultaneously. So mm-hmm. I did not know going through middle school, then going through high school, how that impacted my ability to have friendships, mm-hmm. to trust men. That trusty men, oh my gosh, that's still present in my life. Yeah. I can approach a woman who's a stranger like that and have no issues about it. Yeah. However, to trust a man, like I need space. I need both hands up. Let me be careful with what I say. Mm-hmm. Like I'm still not fully trusting because I'm still coming from some of that filter of what happened. Absolutely. So it's fascinating to know just how those things that are so traumatic at such a young age, like, and to be honest, I hated that little four-year-old Kimmy, that 10-year-old Kimmy, that 12-year-old Kimmy, because I thought that was my fault. Mm-hmm. I thought I was wrong because it happened. You know, I, I said no to the brother. However, the 18-year-old, I really believed him that he loved me. And I really believed that he was going to take care of me. Because again, I just wanted a man to love me because I didn't feel loved by my father. Yeah. So it's so fascinating how those perceptions carry along through our life and how we're willing to be courageous and vulnerable. We can choose to let that. We can change our filter. We can change our mindset about it. Like I'm grateful that it's all happened because I wouldn't be sitting here, standing here with you, speaking with you if I had not gone through all of that and done the healing that I've done on myself to be able to be here with you. (laughs) Hey, hey, hey. If you're enjoying this content, do not forget to rate and review. Wherever you're listening to this podcast, be sure to rate and review. It helps us reach more people in more ways. Now, let's get back to some resilience. Yeah, and it takes... It takes a level of courage to even admit that that's a level of trauma that you experienced. Um, There's so many people walking around holding that burden to themselves and really, really doing a disservice to, to not only themselves, but the people they're around when that's not their burden to carry. Exactly. You know, I, had to, I had to learn that and navigate that myself. And when you, that's something that's never going to go away. You're always going to have that image, that thought. But understanding that I was just a child 
I didn't know any better or I, it's not my fault. When, right. it, when it boils down to it, it wasn't my fault. Uh, this is not my burden to carry. Yeah. That's when things started to shift and that mindset started to change. But yeah. it's, it's having the courage and also the vulnerability. I think people, people have always used vulnerability and said that it's a weakness, but I personally believe that if vulnerability was a weakness, it would be easy. Exactly. It yes, would, exactly. It would be an easy emotion or skill set or however you look at it. It would be an easy thing to do. And, yeah. and in my, my case, my situation and countless other situations and people that I've come in contact with, yourself being included, vulnerability does not come easy. No. We don't want to be vulnerable. It's a choice. It's a choice. It's a scary choice because we have no idea what's going to happen once I open up this can of worms. Exactly. Like, I have no idea how your listeners are going to react to this. Mm -hmm. So immediately, I can share vulnerably that my thing is, am I going to be rejected? Am I going to be ridiculed? Am I going to be criticized? And Mm -hmm. that also comes from my past because I did feel criticized. I did feel ridiculed. I did feel rejected. And so by choosing to be vulnerable, I'm letting go of being attached to what your listeners are going to perceive or assume or what, you know, they see it and how they hear it. Mm -hmm. Because I'm trusting myself that by choosing to be vulnerable, I am making a difference. Well, even if it's for you. Yeah. You know what I mean? So it's like, if I, I finally got when I chose to write that if just one woman, especially, but if one person really connects with my story and finds that possibility that they can choose something else because it happened for me, but it can happen for them. And I'm succeeded. Yeah. Yep. You know what I mean? So it's the same thing with podcasts. If one of your listeners connects with this and sees that it's a possibility that they can be resilient through a difficult situation or a traumatic event, then that's my whole purpose. Mm-hmm. That's all I want. I want people to get that they can heal, that they can be a, live a different way. And they, they're not alone. Yeah. And that they're heard and they're seen. And the, that is so essential for me. Like, that's how I live my life every day. It doesn't matter if it's stranger that I've never seen or somebody who I'm with every day, I really want people to get that they're seen and they're heard and they're loved. Yeah. That's what I wanted as a little kid. That's what I wanted my entire life. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and <clears throat> most, we have a choice, right? Growing up, we can be the person that we wish we had, or we can remain who we are. And I choose to be the person that I wish I had. And it sounds like you did made that same choice as well as to show up in the shoes, in the suit, in the the clothing, and the entire, whatever it looks like, but showing up as the person that you needed when you were struggling, when you were going through your hard times. And what I've learned through vulnerability is when you speak about traumas, when you speak about things that you've gone through, other people can relate that opens up that dialogue, that opens up that connection, that bridge. 
Yeah. That exactly. now, people, now people can come over and we can lean into each other opposed exactly. to leaning away. Yeah. Or being caught up in society's stigma yeah. about trauma because mm-hmm. we're victims. Well, yeah. even choosing to be a victim, that's a choice. Yeah. I see now that I had been living as a victim mm-hmm. for many, many years, which is why it took me so long to get to that place of I'm repeating patterns. What the heck am I doing with my life? And what am I going to do now? Because yeah. I don't want to live from a way of what's familiar to me because it doesn't serve me. Mm-hmm. I, I can't accomplish big things that I want to accomplish if I'm still living from those old patterns. Yeah. And living from those old patterns is also recognizing that it's not like my fault mm-hmm. because our brain protects us. So oftentimes it's just repeating those patterns because the, that's the brain's way of protecting. It takes going within yourself to ask you those questions. Sit with yourself. Like, is this really serving me? Does this really make me happy? How is this, how is this connecting to what I really want to accomplish bigger in life? Yeah. And that honesty. My future self. <laughs> yeah. And being honest with yourself. Um, yeah. That there's a level of, we can, we can kind of sugarcoat things or we can lie to ourselves, but that does nothing, right? right. That does that does nothing to our higher self, our greater self. Um, in order to have that greater human experience that I hope that everyone is able to have, we have to be able to look in the mirror and recognize and acknowledge the, the trauma, the pain, the hurt. That's the first step to addressing or fixing an issue or an opportunity is acknowledging that it's there in the first place. Yeah, definitely. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, I absolutely. Your story is by far a story of, of triumph and, and determination and pure grit. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. How can we support you and where can we find you on social media? Sure. So I'm on Facebook, Kimberly Henry. And uh, I'm on Instagram, the real Kimberly, all lowercase dot Henry. And as an appreciation for being here, for your listeners, I have a free ebook so they can go to my website. It's www semicolon forward slash forward slash famous because if you don't do this, you're going to find another Kimberly Henry. <laughs> so after the two forward slash Kimberly Henry coaching.com, and they can go and collect their free ebook and that's five ways to recover from your personal trauma so it's for anyone who maybe has been taking those steps and they're still a bit afraid they're still unsure they're still uncertain this is somewhere that you can begin to recover from your personal trauma it's five simple steps that you can it's an offering of what you can take to begin the process And if working on a memoir is something that speaks to your listeners, they can also book a discovery call, which is right there on the website too, that they can book a 30 minute, 15 minute discovery call and we can see how we can work together and how I can best support them. Love it, love it, love it, love it. That is amazing. Listeners, I hope you take advantage of that ebook. 
because I know there's there's some gems in there, some really good action steps that will allow you to to probably develop the confidence to to, yeah. to navigate this journey because it's it's not going to be easy. Um, the the healing process is never easy. You're gonna you're gonna want to quit. You're gonna want to cry. And you should, and you should definitely cry. Don't, don't, don't quit, but cry, show your emotions, um, feel your emotions, should I say, uh, but don't let them control you. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, I have one final question for you. Ready? Yes. Okay. Kimberly, Kimmy, as you said earlier, what does resilience mean to you resilience for me is when I feel like I'm broken down when I feel like I want to give up I reconnect to what is my purpose and I get up and Mm -hmm. I don't make it attached to what getting up means I don't have to conquer the world I don't have to save everyone's problems because that's the other thing as being the youngest child of two alcoholics, I felt literally responsible for the world for so many years of my life. And it took me a long time to finally see, like, wow, I really felt responsible for everyone. Mm-hmm. And that's so not true. So it's the story I'm telling myself. So being resilient is really, for me, being present and mindful about what am I, what am I saying to myself? And how can I get back up when I run to give up, when I'm ready to be totally fallen down, just throw my hands up, say screw it, and I don't want to do this anymore. It means that I find that way that I can get back up and I can find my strength again and I can be present. Love it. It's the, it's resilience in action, right? Yeah. It's, yeah. it's, it's literally there's been so many times in my life whether it was when I was a little girl whether it was raising my daughter on my own through all of that craziness between police calls and family court and you know it, it's just it was craziness and, and now as an entrepreneur I'm figuring out this process I've never worked for myself so I don't know what it means to hold myself accountable yet. I'm figuring it out. <laughs> so that takes an amount of resiliency because I find myself in so many different aspects of my life that there are days I want to give up. Mm-hmm. There are days I want to throw my hands up in the air and tell myself I can't, you know? Yeah, but you don't. And that's resilience in action. Yeah, yeah. I love it. Kim, Kimberly, thank you so, so very much for sharing your story and spending some time with us today. Thank you so much for having me. I, it's so much fun. I truly enjoyed this. Thanks for tuning into this week's episode. If you enjoyed it, be sure to rate and review. And remember, resilience in action will always lead to a greater human experience. Thank you.